Benjamin Linus. And I need you to take a message to Mr. Widmore for me. And what message is that? Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how the episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 409, entitled The Shape of Things to Come. This is the 81st episode of the series, and there are 40 to go. We're now more or less at the two-third mark of the series, and uh, certainly a, a moment, I suppose, to pause Think about how the sh- how far the show has come, and uh, what a great great ride uh, we are in for uh, for the final forty episodes. Before we get to the Wikipedia summary for the episode, a couple uh, bits and pieces from the Twitter sphere. First, if you are listening to this within the first couple days of its uh, release, uh, then I want to share with you that uh, Meg Donhauser on Twitter, M E G D O N H I U S E R has put together a uh, uh, lost uh, premiere anniversary extravaganza online. Uh, she's going to be doing a rewatch chat, live chat, that people are welcome to join. Uh, the website is tinyurl.com, T-I-N-Y-U-R-L.com, slash lostychat. And uh, when you click on that, you certainly get more information. She's going to be hosting that this Saturday. That being September 22nd, 2012. So if you're listening to this from the future, uh, you may, I suppose, ignore it. Uh, although it, uh, it looks like she's using, uh, at least in part, she's using the, uh, the chat site Cover It Live, uh, which uh, has worked well for some of the uh, phgeek.com stuff I've done with the guys from there for the Alcatraz podcast. So I'm sure we'll use it again for the Revolution podcast. Uh, so it, probably you'll be able to um, probably you'll be able to uh, rewatch the chat happen uh, after that has gone on. So little uh, little plug there for Meg and her uh, premiere rewatch and chat that everyone's invited to. And uh, I'm hoping to be able to be there myself. I suppose I should mention the time. Right, the time is 9 p.m. Eastern, and uh, Hopefully, uh, hopefully I'm able to make it, and hopefully you are able to make it uh, as well. Uh, also, I'll mention uh, some fantastic feedback uh, from the uh, from last week's episode that I recorded, uh, of course, with Pete from the Revolution Podcast by phgeek.com, and uh, some uh, some great feedback, uh, as always, of course, from uh, from Dan Mulder Locke, the uh, the uh, erstwhile thinker on lost uh also mighty underscore tim mighty tim had uh kind of joined in on this, the discussion started by dan Mulderlock uh concerning whether uh it was indeed christian uh in spirit form or the smoke monster uh who who saw jack at the end of that last missing piece entitled uh, so it begins uh also thanks to uh john bowman on twitter 
for uh, pointing out that uh, our discussion about Sun's ID card might have been largely uh, unnecessary. I think his basic point was she could have used the the Sun Quan uh, ID to to fly into the country, but then quickly could have slipped away using the using the uh, perhaps less secure fake ID, but she could kind of blend in while on the run. So, last but not least, there was, where's that last tweet here? Got a tweet from somebody, where is it? Uh, responding to the the pondering moment that Pete and I had in last week's podcast where I said, uh, I wonder if, if uh, they're ever going to recut Lost chronologically. And Lil Clerk, L-I-L Clerk on Twitter, uh, sent me the message and said there are a couple of ways to see Lost chronologically. You can go to chronologicallylost.com. Or uh, she then sent a, uh, a shorter link, which I believe is a link to the to the Facebook uh, page for it. Yes, it is for the pace, Facebook page for Chronologically Lost. So I'll admit I've not checked it out thus far, but certainly uh, certainly looking forward to doing so. So thank you, Lil Clerk, for sending uh, sending the info there about ChronologicallyLost.com. And with that, let's now turn our attention to this episode, certainly (laughs) a run-and-gun episode, uh, metaphorically as well as literally, and uh, let's just jump right in. The episode is set on December 27th, 2004, the survivor's 97th day in the island. At the beach camp, the corpse of Dr. Ray washes ashore. Daniel calls the freighter and asks what happened to Ray via Morse code. Daniel lies about the response, saying that the rescue helicopters will be sent soon. However, Bernard calls him on this and correctly interprets the freighter's message. What are you talking about? The doctor is fine. Jack, who suffers from stomach pains throughout the day, forces Daniel to reveal that it was never their intention to rescue the survivors. Meanwhile, Alex is captured by Martin, Kimi, and others from the freighter. As they take her to the barracks, she sets off an alarm heralding the arrival of Ben's enemies. Ben, Locke, and Hurley fortify Ben's house while Sawyer goes to retrieve the other survivors in the barracks. He is partially successful as he saves Claire from her exploded and burning house, but three survivors, portrayed by extras, are shot to death by mercenaries. Kimi finds and frees Miles, giving him a walkie-talkie to take to Ben. Ben communicates with Kimi, who threatens to kill Alex if Ben does not surrender. Ben attempts to negotiate and is shocked when Kimi executes Alex. Locking himself in the house's secret room, Ben enters a hidden chamber to summon the smoke monster. Ben emerges covered in soot and the monster attacks Kimi's henchmen. The survivors flee for the forest, with Ben lingering briefly to grieve over Alex's body. Afterward, Ben and Locke depart to locate Jacob for further instructions. Hurley, Sawyer, Claire, and Aaron return to the beach with Miles. But Locke holds him at gunpoint and successfully demands that Hurley, in fact, goes with him, Locke, as he has found Jacob's cabin before. Flash forwards show Ben on three continents in autumn 2005. Ben is startled when he wakes up in the Sahara Desert wearing a winter jacket with a large cut on his upper arm. Challenged by two armed locals, he kills one of them and knocks the other unconscious and travels on horseback to Tunisia in October 24th, 2005. Ben journeys to Tikrit, Iraq, where the funeral of Saeed's wife, Nadia, is taking place. Ben tells Saeed that Widmer ordered Ishmael to kill Nadia. 
Ben lures Ishmael into a trap to be killed by Saeed, who shoots Ishmael repeatedly. Ben recruits him to become his assassin and leaves for London, England, where he breaks into Widmore's penthouse. Though he cannot kill Widmore, he states that he is going to kill Widmore's daughter Penelope in retribution for Alex's death. In their conversation, Widmore claims that the island is his, but he will take it back from Ben one day. And with that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. This is an episode that it's almost too made up of two parts. Uh, there's a very, very lean on-island story with Ben and company at the barracks, where there's not a ton of theorizing going on, uh, because it's either fairly to quite appropriately placed exposition uh, explaining particulars that are going on, uh, or there's some sort of uh, just, you know, action, action, action. There's not much to theorize about uh, when, when it indeed is action. This is contrasted, of course, by the, uh, the very, very interesting flash forward where you see Ben kind of at his, uh, what I call kind of the 007 Ben height, where he's fully in command of the situation uh, and kind of you know, flitting hither and yon with uh, his secret get-ups and secret plans. And uh, it, of course, you know, the details like the parka and how he got there and is there some sort of smoke or vapor as he arrives. Uh, these are all meant to, simply put, they're meant to be earmarks for the future. They're meant to be proof that the show does not make things up. They're meant to be able to, you know, this is very clearly an episode where Lindelof and Cuse can say, you see, we have a plan. Calm down, everyone. So with that little introduction in mind, let's jump into the episode proper. The previously on Lost is a tidy recap of the Ben storyline thus far, involving being captured, Miles, Michael, Alex, now alone. Uh, the story proper opens on the beach with Kate making goo-goo eyes at Jack. There's an ironic line as uh, Jack is checking the medicine stash uh, that he wrote the prescription himself. Hey, we saw that in the fast forward. They're being ironic. He's, of course, checking this medicine stash because he has himself a tummy ache, uh, which, of course, is something that they hint at further towards the end of uh, this episode and really explore in, uh, in episodes to come, appropriate since this is called The Shape of Things to Come. Uh, at this point, Kate is worrying where everyone uh, is. This worrying is, of course, some mild recap. And Jack explains it all away, and the people at home who forgot, uh, to be fair, who forgot over the four weeks that the show was, was off the air uh, because of the strike-related uh bits and pieces that we've covered in, in previous podcasts. I'll allow it. I'll say, you know, you want to do a little bit of recap after you've been gone for a month. So be it. Here's, you know, here is not the time to complain. Uh, with that, there's an abrupt tempo shift to Bernard crying for help. He was drawn by the dogs barking. He says, uh, we pretty quickly see that it is a B O D I E as Hurley would say, but, um, <laughs> it takes, the, the the shift uh, from the dummy that they pull out of the water to switching to the actual actor behind Dr. Ray uh, for us to start to recognize that. And then just in case you forgot this smaller character in, uh, you know, in the time that the show took off, Daniel says nice and easily, it's the dead doctor. It's recap for us. 
What benefit does it have to the characters? At least they know that there's a storm coming. We're meant to think that um, this storm coming notion uh, continues with an even more abrupt cut to Hurley saying that they're all going to die, which I wouldn't get too meta on. I mean, it's true, but of course it's true for us all. The beginning of this scene is composed of uh, close close-ups as Locke, Sawyer, and Hurley talk of heavy, important things. I think that we can see the joke ahead of time, can't we, as, as first-time viewers? A wide shot reveals that they're playing Risk, and there are these cute references to attacking Siberia and Australia being the key to the whole game. You can almost just hear Lindelof saying, Theorize that, Losties, we're back. Um... So, you know, why so frivolous? Why be so kind of uh, loose and airy? Well, to send the end of it, to, to, pardon me, to sell the end of the teaser act, of course. Uh, before that we see that it's Alex, we cut to a scene where we just simply know that it's her uh, being, being led along. And she's pushed down into camera view and we're then sure that it's her. She, of course, is being led at gunpoint by uh, unseen mercenaries. Here, there's an odd bit of voice masking. Sometimes it uh, it sounds like Kimi. Other times, it's kind of a deep Kimi voice. Other times, it's masked still further. Uh, I'm not quite sure why they're making that a mystery. I think I would almost prefer this notion of, holy crow, the last time we watched an episode, four-week break or not, uh, there was Michael on the freighter talking to Kimi, and he's saying, you know, we're, we're shooting things. Uh, and now there's, you know, you don't want to reveal him yet on camera, fine, but boy, that sounds like the guy who said they were shooting things and now people have been shot. Um, at any rate, they take her to the sonic fence, which Alex turns off, and that storm that was coming, yeah, it's still coming. And at this point, in a truly efficient narrative bit, uh, we find out that the island computers apparently, are able to somehow relay to Ben's phone a recorded message, 14J. Locke, taking the call, passes the message along to a piano-playing Ben, who looks gleefully as the boys come in, as I think he thinks that they've apparently come just to hang out with him. What's code 14J? Where did you hear that? The phone rang, I picked it up, a voice kept repeating code 14J. We need to get to the other house. It's easier to fortify and we'll have better position on the tree lines. What are you talking about? They're here. Thus, we head to the title card, and after it, there's uh, one of the brilliant out-of-the-blue story threads. Uh, just just an absolutely fabulous uh story moment here and one that uh back in those sad lonely days before uh, widescreen tvs were the norm uh the story thread first presented here was a bit hidden uh we come back immediately uh and ben uh snaps into screen uh as uh he's appeared in uh, as we'll learn the sahara De- sahara desert he's wearing a parka that much is evident now back in the day the square tv uh owning people there was a debate amongst us uh, about the rumor of smoke or cold air moving away from him 
Uh, it's much more visible now on, on widescreen, of course, as that's the intention to say, wait, he's dressed for cold, and was that some cold air? Was that him exhaling? What exactly was going on there? Uh, as we'll see in a few episodes, of course, he was coming from a cold, cold place indeed by that donkey wheel. Uh, he's then in marvelous Ben fashion. Uh, as the scene unfolds, he's approached by two men on horseback. After trying a few languages, uh, he finds that there's still a barrier. Uh, ben is presenting himself as uh, kind of emotionally wounded. Certainly he has that cut on his arm, but emotionally wounded, affable, and has an air of whoopsie-daisy to him, including when he takes out this little handle uh, and promptly and true Ben kick-butt fashion, extends the nightstick, hits the one guy, gets the gun, and shoots the other. One dead, one knocked out. He wraps up his arm, gets on the horse, and there's Ben back on top. Not to worry. Just, this is why the character is beloved. Uh, yes, hated, but also loved. Uh, because, just fantastic. Uh, with that, flash forward over. Things in Othersville are fast, fast, fast. Ben moving to action explaining that an early warning uh, has been uh, tripped and uh, that one of, uh, one of his people has been captured and the baddies are en route, reminding Locke that he, Ben, is the most valuable guy in this equation. The scene ends. With that, we go back to the beach where Dr. Ray, uh, the dead Dr. Ray, that is to say, and somebody where I must wonder what it's like to be paid for the trip to Hawaii just to put on dead makeup and lay on the beach for... Probably what can't be, you know, too too long a scene. Um, and let's not forget that this was not shot, uh, you know, with his uh, in conjunction with his time for the Kahana episodes because uh, this is the first episode back after the strike. They, you know, they they did not plan for him to be back because there was no plan because there was no st uh, script, uh, you know, that would have turned into this. So, anyhow. There's talk of using the sat phone as a telegram, and there's a mumbly list of tools needed by Dan. But this is the B story, and in an episode with far uh, too much momentum to fiddle with, you know, much time for us or the show to fiddle with things like Ferris wire discussions. Riveting. Anyhow, in Othersville, Ben is barricading himself, Locke, Aaron, and Hurley into the house. Uh, the comment is made that Sawyer won't be able to get in. Uh, then the show not quite pauses, but certainly inflicts some some bloodletting, or perhaps sheds some weight, is another way to put it. Sawyer, advising his extra castaway friends to get hiding, watches three of them get killed with precision shots. Shots that, when fired in rapid succession, miss Sawyer entirely as he runs around the uh, the outdoors area. Such is TV. I'm not going to complain much. It's you sit there and go, oh, come on. But you know what? It's not it, it's nothing that you haven't seen a zillion times before. It's it's a trope. Is it the strongest moment? No. But look, when they go boom, boom, boom and kill three extras, that's them saying we don't need extras anymore. Time to time to get rid of them. And of course, you're not going to kill Sawyer with an unseen machine gun guy. So Little to complain about. Anyhow, for all of uh, Sawyer's running around, in what becomes a pretty good action scene, he starts yelling for Claire. In a moment of supreme directorial flair, 
no pun intended, a rocket is launched to Claire's house, and it explodes spectacularly. And as the fireball clears upward, the screen uh, credit reads, directed by Jack Bender. Well done, sir. Well done. Sawyer calls for Claire one more time. Do we expect her to be killed off screen? Nah. Uh, and the story moves to Ben's flash forward, which, let it be said, we get after a commercial break. Now, the effect of all of the, the effect of this flashback is this, at least thus far. For first time viewers, it's not clear whether it's a flash forward or a flashback. Uh, ben, however, having made his way into Tunisia, uh, does indeed clear it up pretty quickly. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. I'd like a room, please. Of course, sir. Is this your first time in Tunisia? No, but it's been a while. Your name? I'm actually a preferred guest. It should be under Dean Moriarty. Certainly, Mr. Moriarty. May I help you with anything else? Yes. Today's date is... October 24th, sir. 2005. Yes, sir. 2005. Ah, 2005. Not so much a clue as actually a signpost uh, saying, we are here. Uh, Then as you hear at the end there, for reasons of the story just being quick, uh, who's on the TV at the end of that clip? Uh, or I suppose a bit past it, Saeed, swarmed by the media, simply wanting to bury his wife. He, of course, says that in English, so all of us at home hear it nice and well. Uh, Ben notices it, and I think, uh, you know, how could he not, (laughs) given that uh, it seems his feet take him right past the TV. Uh, Is it a tad contrived? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not impossible. Tunisia... uh, you know, Saeed's you know, a very famous, famous Arab man. Uh, here he's returned to the region uh, after, you know, celebrity and fame and accord and this sort of thing. So not impossible, just a bit, a bit hand of the writer, as I often say. But there's a message there, too. It's buckle up because there'll be more of this sort of stuff ahead. And you can also start to think, oh, apparently Ben just got here. Saeed somehow gets off the island. We know that they end up working together. It's kind of whatever the sin might be of uh, it being a bit convenient. At least we can immediately see these two roads and how they're going to meet. um, Because, of course, we've seen where they meet. Anyhow, back in Othersville, Locke wants answers and receives a vague, it's shock and awe. Although it's followed up by some very sneaky exposition. They, you know, they hide that exposition pill and some you know and some lovely uh ice cream or whatever you want to call it um they hide it well and indeed it comes off as natural ben has to explain that they must go see uh both go see jacob for help and that hurley knows the way it's neat it's tidy and in my book it is beyond reproach then the story goes somewhere that is neither neat nor tidy nor beyond reproach Sawyer, picking through the wreckage of Claire's house, finds a dazed and kind of bloody Claire. No way, period. That was a giant fireball to find Claire merely under a mattress or a door or piece of debris. 
basically fine. You know, she's a little kind of grabbing her head. She calls Sawyer Charlie in this touching moment, um, an efficient moment where she's clearly dazed, but it also shows, you know, her heart. But come on, she should be dead. We're not really complaining because it didn't feel like she was going to die as it was. But there's just these moments where it's, you know, it's the show picking up pace. And you know what? They thought they had a certain number of episodes and now they have less. So, you know, there's a limit to the sin you can place upon the writers. If they want to end season four, where season four was supposed to end, got to pick things up. So, eh, this is one episode to do it. Uh, anyhow, we then get get a lovely little confluence of events that reminds us why Hurley does become the island's protector. Having been just reminded that he knows the way to Jacob, we see Hurley, A, caring for Aaron uh, by getting him safely settled. B, we see him see Sawyer and Claire coming towards the house. As C, he races to take the barricade uh, down. When Ben tells him no, D, Hurley smashes a window. Way to cover it up, guys. Uh, and with that, the protector has made sure everyone is safe. For the time being anyway, but we all have to start somewhere. We're not all born the island's protector. With that, the doorbell rings, and oddly, Locke and Sawyer unbarricade the door and let the ringer in. That being Miles, who swiftly explains that he was uh, let go by the shooters who've given him a walkie in order to talk. There's then a commercial break and a swift bit of, uh, in a swift bit of story once again, we're at that Iraqi funeral for, sure enough, Nadia. Uh, luckily, there's someone carrying her picture in grief who walks right by the, right by the, the camera, enough for us to say, hey, that's Nadia. Uh, the moment that the press SUV shows up, I think we know that it's Ben, uh, who in no time is uh, all up, you know, at, at the top of a building, camera with a long lens in hand, taking pictures of loitering tough guys, taking pictures of the coffin, and, of course, seeing Saeed. I just kind of had to pause here and really just note how astonished I was at how zippy and lean this episode is. Yes, it makes for a bit less mythologizing. Uh, thus, it's kind of limiting how ponderous you know we can be uh, when, in the course of 10 seconds, Saeed goes from the coffin to ready to beat Ben up. Uh, there's not a lot of mystery there and that 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 it is is you know stuff involving how how ben got there and why ben got there anyway uh saeed uh, also does have the wherewithal to ask ben the questions we want answered so there's that that's very nice i'm here to find the man who murdered your wife how did you get here Came across the Syrian border. It's really not as difficult. How as you did might you have... get off the island? Your friend Desmond had a boat. Remember the Elizabeth? I followed a heading to Fiji. Then I chartered a plane. Why now? You remember the name Charles Widmore, don't you? The man who tried to convince the world that your plane was on the bottom of the ocean? What does it have to do with me? With Nadia? There was a man at her procession. He goes by the name of Ishmael Bakir. He's one of Woodmore's men. 
Bakir was last seen five days ago in Los Angeles, caught by a traffic camera speeding away from the corner of La Brea and Santa Monica. That's three blocks from where Nadia was killed. Why would these people want to murder her? I don't know. But they did. As Saeed crumples the picture, his grief turning into rage, the look on Ben's face tells it all. The hook is set, and that tells us how Saeed got hooked as being a minion of Ben. It's amazingly direct uh, exposition. Of course, at least parts of it lie. You know, he didn't get off on Desmond's boat, as we as we clearly saw. Although, you know, I think for first-time viewers, it's, it's a little bit uh, up in the air. Um, however, let's not forget, not only are we... Uh, increasingly seeing direct exposition in seasons four, five, and six, but within the the reality of the show, let's not forget that this is something that we're used to from Ben. When needed, Ben just simply goes to the truth. It's his default statement. So the fact that most of this is true and a little bit is not, you know, he's clearly picking and choosing uh, you know, what information can push Saeed's buttons. But... Um, it, uh, you know, it's just, it's nice to be at this stage of the show where they're, where they're sharing so much, quite frankly. Anyhow, with that flashback over, Miles tries to get Ben uh, on the walkie, finally explaining that the hostage is indeed Alex. Dark times indeed, though. Following up his 007 routine in Tunisia and Iraq, first-time viewers aren't too worried, are they? Uh, not even when... Kimi ups the ante. Get your ass out here right now. Or I'm gonna kill your daughter. Ben's eyes here are determined, despite his pause to think. I think it, as first-time viewers, we of course are thinking he's gotten out of worse jams than this. I'd like to present a counterproposal. You and your friends turn around, walk back to your helicopter. You fly away and forget you ever heard of this island. Tell your daddy goodbye. I'll just pause the clip to note that in what follows, we we hear that Giacchino's music almost leads the scene it starts to spill the emotional beans ever so slightly i mean that in the best way possible chikino here is pulling us down uh before the the grim act takes place tell your daddy goodbye dad you're serious they killed carl and my mother alex i have this under control everything's gonna be okay Please, Daddy! Please, please, please. You have 10 seconds, Ben. Okay, listen. Nine. She's not my daughter. Eight. I stole her as a baby from an insane woman. She's a pawn, nothing more. 
She means nothing to me. I'm not coming out of this house. So if you want to kill her, go ahead and do it. I think it's safe to say that it's one of the more shocking moments of the series, and doubly so since we've never seen Ben outmaneuvered before, and certainly not in such a way. After the commercial break, Ben is still shocked, as I suppose are we all. Now, here, perhaps it's the show denying us the full humanity that possibly Ben lacks. and We don't see him cry. He's just dazed, uh, mumbling the hint he changed the rules. Here, there's some great camera work as Ben numbly wanders toward the back of the house while Sawyer and Locke put their heads together for a strategy. Let's not forget, forget that Ben was the one that chose this house to barricade for reasons that are about to be obvious in a moment. Uh, at this point, Ben uh, gets behind his bookcase. There's a metal door, a blast door perhaps, that closes behind him. Gone certainly is that suave 007 of Tunisia. Uh, it's just someone who's clearly acting toward a more permanent solution. We get our minds blown as uh, we find out that the panic room of his is actually just a coat room for a mysterious stone door leading to a tunnel. Or, of course, uh, Egyptian bits here and there in the tunnel that we'll discuss uh, in the Lostpedia section, but certainly uh, another hint of the island's, uh, the island's uh, deep, deep uh, place in history. Anyhow, with that, we flash back to Tunisia, where Ben is getting tea and still tracking uh, Ishmael, Widmore's man, Widmore naturally being the man who changed the rules. There's a bit of a foot chase through a crowded bazaar, Ben is a tad eager through all of it, and then, of course, promptly gets caught. He gets caught for the right reasons, of course. For Saeed is to kill Ishmael from behind. Then there's this tender, twisted moment. Saeed asking to stay and work with Ben, and Ben saying that uh, to let the grief remain as anger is not the answer. I'm sure many people would disagree, but I, for, for the briefest moment here, I don't sense that Ben is trying to hook Saeed at all. He's just given a fellow lost soul an honest out of this bloody war, even though he might hope differently or prognosticate differently. We're now seeing Ben, the odd, strange hero. And by the end of it, Saeed is his number two. With that, we uh, head uh, back, in the, back in the house, and Claire is back. Yay! Healed by the hand of the writer. Then there's a clankety-clank, and Ben is back, covered in soot and calm for a man who's just lost a daughter. He explains that when he says go, everyone needs to run for the trees, far away from the men with guns. Why? The smoke monster has returned, looking better than ever against the night sky. What happens is an arresting scene, one made tense by everyone in fact not running, but being stunned by the carnage they see, down to the one lone commando who tries to run away, and then is pulled back to his death.
Head for the creek. I'll catch up to you. Hey, where are you going? I have to say goodbye to my daughter, John. Then, and only then, Ben can relax and mourn in what ends up being just a, a fabulous moment of acting. It's a pity that the scene isn't a bit longer, but, you know, such is this jam-packed episode, I suppose. After the commercial break, we're back to Jack and Kate and those much less interesting beach people uh, who finally gotten Morse code to the freighter. Dan relays the message. Not sure what happened to the doctor, but helicopters come in the morning. Bernard, ever-reliable, ever-underappreciated, sneers wonderfully at, uh, at Dan saying that that wasn't the message. The response was, what are you talking about? The doctor is fine. Daniel, the veritable Sherlock, deduces that Bernard knows Morse code. Jack then puts on his angry pants and muscles Dan into the admission at the rescue uh, was never an option. Jack then doubles over in stomach pain, perhaps not the little tummy ache as hinted at the start of the story. We can smell a storyline uh, getting ready to unfold, can't we? From rumbly tummies to get a joke about writing one's own prescription or one thing, but this clearly is another and a hint, of course, of his appendix issues. The story moves back to what's left of Locke's group. Locke, Sawyer, Aaron, uh, Claire, Hurley, and Ben, who arrives and announces that they're going to Jacob. Hand of the writer then appears. Sawyer will take Hurley, Aaron, and Claire to the beach. Hey, some of those are Oceanic Six people. Problem solved. Until, wonderfully frustratingly, Locke says Hurley must stay to find the cabin. Right, we were told that before, weren't we? Uh, there's almost a shootout, but future leader Hurley mans up and diffuses it all by choosing to go with Locke. Though the little line of, he'll catch up, is a little chuckle for us. Yes, he'll catch up, enough to get off the island. With that, we flash forward to London, where Ben schmoozes himself into an apartment building. How could a nicely dressed man with a smile and knowledge of Mr. and Mrs. Kendrick and 4E be trouble? Uh, it's a great touch from Jack Bender to show Ben clutching his nightstick baton again uh, from behind, uh, though of course the doorman just lets him through. Unsurprisingly though, it isn't 4E, it's the penthouse. Surely we can tell it's Widmore ahead of time, uh, but it, it still seems wrong somehow putting on that first-time viewer hat. It feels like an odd hit job, if that. Uh, they start talking of Widmore's Rock. Initially, you might think it's England, although they do somehow seem to be talking of a certain sunnier island. I see you've been getting more sun. Iraq is lovely this time of year. When did you start sleeping with a bottle of scotch by the bed? When the nightmares started. 
have you come here to kill me, Benjamin? We both know I can't do that. Then why are you here? I'm here, Charles, because you murdered my daughter. Don't stand there looking at me with those horrible eyes of yours and lay the blame for the death of that poor girl on me. When we both know very well I didn't murder her at all, Benjamin. You did. No, that's not true. Yes, Benjamin, it is. You creep into my bedroom in the dead of night, like a rat. You have the audacity to pretend that you're the victim. I know who you are, boy. What you are. I know that everything you have, you took from me. So, once again, I ask you, why are you here? I'm here, Charles, to tell you that I'm going to kill your daughter. Penelope, is it? And once she's gone, once she's dead, then you'll understand how I feel. And you'll wish you hadn't changed the rules. You'll never find her. That island's mine, Benjamin. It always was. It will be again. But she'll never find it. Then I suppose the hunt is on for both of us. I suppose it is. Sleep tight, Charles. Certainly is a revelation to the story and then some, uh, though it's been hinted at here and there. Ben having taken everything from Widmere, Widmore, uh, the first clear references that Widmore's island history go back, indeed, farther than Ben's. And as for that threat towards Penny, its dramatic function, I think it's to leave us horrified at the notion that true love will be somehow attacked or indeed even denied. Luckily, we can look back and be rest assured that uh, Penny and Desmond will comfortably meet and comfortably, uh, comfortably be together before too long. So with that, let's now take a look at the, uh, the bits and pieces from Lostpedia, things I might have missed. And uh, first is the Dharma logo seen on the breast of the parka worn by Ben is that of the orchid. And of course, has the name Hallowax emblazoned on the left breast. Uh, then we enter a bit of a, a language lesson here. Although Ben asks the Bedouin whether they speak Turkish, it is not a language spoken by Bedouin, nor is it related to the Arabic language. Some smart language person on uh, Lostpedia. Uh, they do mention, though, that one of the Bedouin points uh, out how Ben does not have a trail around him. The other replies, where did this guy come from? Down from the sky? Uh, continuing the language lesson, the television reporter that mentions Saeed while Ben is in Tunisia states, One of the sons of Iraq, and despite the terrible causes for his return, Saeed Jarrah, one of the members of the Oceanic Six, returned to Baghdad after his wife had passed away. 
Zahidjara and his wife are from the Tikrit area. And last bit here for the uh, language lesson. The symbols on Ben's secret room door appear to be hieroglyphics that are determinative signs in Egyptian. The basic translation is to summon protection. So there you go. Uh, moving on in Lostpedia, in the penultimate episode of the series, What They Died For, Ben revealed that the monster was actually summoning him rather than him summoning the monster. They also mentioned that this is the first episode of Lost to feature footage filmed outside the United States. The London scene between Ben and Charles Widmore was filmed in London due to Alan Dale performing on stage in the West End production of Spamalot during filming the second season block of season four. The next occasion was four episodes later in There's No Place Like Home Part 3. Both scenes were filmed during the same trip by the film crew. Which I find interesting just because, I don't know, the, the, these episodes were put together quite quickly. And um, I guess you're kind of locked into your, to your Widmore stuff quite early on. But, you know, that said, it is only five scripts. Everybody's in kind of batting down the hatches mode and feeling refreshed after the writer's strike and all that. But anyhow, last bit uh, here. Another Easter egg glimpsed uh, is that when Ben reveals his forged Canadian passport, previously seen in The Economist, Economist for his alias uh, Dean Moriarty, that of course also being the name of the central character in Jack Kerouac's 1951 novel, On the Road. So with that, everybody... I'll start to uh, wrap things up. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to share feedback, the best way is if you say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm Looking Back Lost. You can send an email to lookingbackatlost at uh, gmail.com, or you can leave a comment on the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. You can also call the listener line, 732-707-1815. So with that, thank you once again for listening. As always... And of course, we'll be back again next week for 410, something nice back home. So take care, everybody. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.